Welcome to Lead On, a program where we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and it's my task, responsibility, and delight each week to talk with you about the practical side of ministry leadership. Now, this program is an application-oriented program where we talk about practical issues for pastors, other church leaders, organizational leaders, Christian leaders who are trying to make a difference in making their organizations as healthy as possible. So today, I want to talk about leading with integrity. Now, don't don't turn the dial. Don't turn off the show. I know integrity gets talked about a lot, and everyone knows we need it, and most leaders would say they want it, and most followers uh, demand or expect it. I get all that. But remember, this program is about the practical side of ministry leadership. So what I want to talk about today is some things you can do to facilitate a heightened level of integrity in your life as a leader. Now, let's start by talking about what integrity is. Integrity comes from the same Latin word from which we get the word integer. Now, an integer is a whole number, a two, a three, a five. Now, this same root word that we get integrity and integer means complete or whole or undivided. It means no fractions are not fractional. It means whole, like an integer. So when you keep this math image in mind, it tells us that a person of integrity is a whole or complete or undivided person. There's no double dealing or double standards or double meanings. They're unified in their beliefs and their words and their actions. Now, if you could do this just for a moment, it would help. I know we're on the radio and it's not a good visual media, but just work with me. If you hold up three fingers on your hand, you'll see that you could label one of them Beliefs and one of them words and one of them actions. And as you look at those three fingers, you see them three distinct fingers. But if you turn your hand to the side and look, you can merge those together where it looks like you just have the one finger. And when beliefs, words, and actions, three distinct things, merge together where you look at them and you only see one, that's living with integrity. Now, I emphasize this because integrity is often confused with perfection. They're not the same thing. Perfection means the absence of mistakes, the absence of flaws. None of that is possible for a ministry leader. I talked about this on the program last week. All leaders make mistakes. And so integrity can't be perfection. It's got to be something else. And so integrity is wholeness, completeness, being undivided. It's having your beliefs, your words, and your actions all line up. And so how does this relate to making mistakes and still maintaining integrity? Well, one of our beliefs is that when we make a mistake, we own it by taking responsibility for it. We admit it by, take, by, by speaking up and owning what we've done. If it had a moral or ethical dimension, we've sinned in the process, and so we confess our sin to God and to the people that we've wronged. These are beliefs that we have as Christian leaders, and so when our beliefs line up with our words and actions, sometimes it's our beliefs about owning mistakes, forgiveness, and restoration that demonstrate our integrity. So yes, 
even when you make a mistake as a leader, it's possible to still demonstrate integrity because the integrity is shown not in the perfection that you obviously can't attain, but instead in living out your beliefs, words, and actions in a unified, undivided way so that you resolve your mistake in the best way possible. So, integrity. It comes from the same word as integer. An integer is a whole number, no fractions. This means that as people of integrity and leaders with integrity, we are whole, undivided people so that our beliefs and our words and our actions all line up. So that when we use that simple illustration of seeing three fingers, it's not three distinct parts of who we are, but you turn it on the side and you look down and you see just the one finger and you realize that's a life of integrity. When the core things I believe and say and do all line up. So how do you do it more effectively? Well, for me, integrity starts by being a spiritual process. And there are some spiritual foundations or affirmations which help drive me and motivate me to have integrity. The first one is this. I am in submission to Jesus as Lord. You can look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 in the Bible for a good passage on this. Because I'm in submission to Jesus as Lord, he is my master and my supervisor. He's the one to whom I'm accountable and the one uh, who measures my behaviors. I'm not a law to myself. I don't set my own standards. I'm not the final authority on my words, our actions, our beliefs. Someone else is, and the someone else is Jesus. And so my submission to Jesus as Lord motivates me to pursue integrity. Another affirmation is I'm a steward accountable to Jesus as Lord. Luke 16, 1 through 15 is a good parable about stewardship. And 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2 are good insights about the role of leaders as stewards. Jesus has made me a steward of some leadership responsibility. That means while he has all authority, he shared a little bit of it with me and expects me to handle it with care and with responsibility. And Jesus expects this from all leaders. He expects us to take that which we've been given and make the most of it as a caretaker or a steward or a manager of the role, office, and responsibility that we've been given. Remember, the job you have right now in ministry leadership really belongs to Jesus. He's only sharing it with you for a short time. And as a steward, we want to serve him well and then present the work we've done and the job we leave behind back to him with what? Integrity, wholeness, completeness, being undivided. And then a third affirmation that keeps me going is that I am under an authority structure affirmed by Jesus as Lord. You can see this in Romans 13, 1 through 7, and of course, Matthew 28, 18. Part of maintaining integrity is knowing to whom we're accountable and pleasing them. Jesus has all authority, and he shares his authority through appropriate structures. In my case, it's through a board of trustees. In other settings, it's through a board of elders. Uh, in other settings, it may have some other kind of leadership structure or leadership supervisory uh, authority, but in every case, Christian leaders need to know that they are working under the authority of Jesus expressed through the structures that he's created in their lives. Now, I realize these are simple and yet they're profound. These spiritual affirmations or motivations keep me pursuing integrity. I am under the authority of Jesus as Lord. I'm a steward accountable to Jesus as Lord, 
and I am in submission to Jesus as Lord. Now, in the context of those affirmations, I've found that some spiritual disciplines also help me with integrity. Now, I know there are lots of different spiritual disciplines, and I wouldn't speak against any of them, but today I want to highlight just four that I regularly practice that help keep me in spiritual alignment. Remember, that's what we're shooting for here, not perfection, but alignment, not perfection, but wholeness, where our beliefs and our words and our actions all line up. The first spiritual discipline that helps me with this is devotional Bible reading. Now, as a Christian leader, uh, you probably speak and teach often, but that's not what I'm talking about now. I'm not talking about studying the Bible for preaching and teaching and other ministry. You know, it's sometimes easier to study the Bible for what it says to someone else than to listen to what it says to us. But a leader must discipline himself or herself to read the Bible and to ask God to speak directly to them about issues that need correction. Now, I've been reading the Bible systematically for years. I read it when I feel good and when I don't. I read it when God seems close and when he seems far away. I read it when I, when I want to and when I don't. I read it when I'm getting something out of it and when I'm not. Through it all, I just keep reading the Bible because I know that I need incremental correction from the Bible. I want God to point out things in my life early in the process. I don't want to drift far away from him. And devotional Bible reading helps me maintain that kind of quick, responsiveness to God as he moves in his word to help me stay in alignment. And then another part of this, which is really the companion, is devotional prayer. As leaders, we're always praying for others. Uh, We pray for the people we work with, the people we're trying to reach, the people we care about. I get that. That's vital. Don't stop. But a leader must also pray for himself or for herself and for their personal needs and for for personal spiritual focus. And sometimes this kind of prayer is more difficult than praying for others because it calls for introspection. And that's awesome. That's sometimes more difficult than intercession, where introspection causes us to look within ourselves and to pour out our hearts to God about the concerns and issues we have. And asking God to work in us and to work on us is sometimes harder than asking him to work through us on behalf of someone else. Now, devotional prayer also helps keep me in alignment because, again, it allows me to address immediate issues as God surfaces them in his word and by bringing that conviction to me about what I need to adjust or change or how I need to reshape or refocus. And that devotional prayer gives me the moment to concretize that and to bring myself back into alignment. A third discipline that I practice is church attendance. Now, you may say, well, yeah, I go to church. I'm the pastor, or I'm the elder, or I'm the deacon, I'm the teacher. Well, I'm often uh, the preacher where I go to church, but sometimes I'm not. And when I'm not speaking, I make it a point to be as often as I can in worship in a church where someone is going to sing and pray and speak the word of God to me. And then, and here's what's so vital, call me to response. I go to a church where every Sunday, as a part of the worship service, there's a time to respond, where the pastor asks us how God is speaking to us through the worship and the word and the prayer. And from the theme of the service and the theme of the sermon, he'll ask, how is God speaking to you and what change do you need to make today to bring yourself back into alignment with him? 
One of his favorite prayers is this. He'll pray, Lord, chip away at us today in this worship service and make us more like Jesus. And he'll ask us in the response time, what's being chipped away in your life this morning that you want to forsake, move away from, correct, or otherwise deal with so that you leave today more in alignment with the life God wants you to be living? You know, the reason that devotional Bible reading and devotional prayer are not enough, that you need an outside person speaking the word to you and leading you to worship and pray, is because all of us can become jaded and too self-focused and not self-aware about what's happening with us or around us. And we need someone to speak objectively to us and to challenge us from an outsider's point of view. And that's what our pastor does, and I hope you have one that does that to you as well. Now, if you're in a place where you're the primary speaker and you're not able to do this often, I would encourage you strongly to find a pastor that you really love and respect, that you look up to and that you're willing to hear, and make it a regular habit of hearing their message by electronic means or by some other uh, uh, venue than being there uh, in person. But take in the Word of God and allow it to transform you, shape you, bring you back into that alignment that leads to integrity. And then the last spiritual discipline, and this one may seem a little off step, but I think it's very vital to maintaining integrity, and that is Sabbath rest. Resting one day out of seven is essential as a spiritual discipline for integrity for several reasons. First of all, it shows your followers that you're human and you recognize your own limitations. And it's humbling to honor Sabbath because you're recognizing that you can't do it all and you need time to rest. Another thing is it affirms your faith in God and that he can do more in six days than you can do in seven. And finally, it refreshes you physically so you're less tired to make mistakes. And then it also, as a part of that restoration, restores your perspective and prepares you for future ministry. I have noticed myself, and I've certainly noticed this in the lives of other leaders, tired leaders make bad decisions. Tired leaders do things they would not otherwise do. Tired leaders allow their words, their actions, and their beliefs to get out of alignment, and they lose integrity, and they regret the consequences. So what I'm saying today is that there are spiritual disciplines that will help you to stay aligned. Devotional Bible reading, devotional prayer, worship attendance, Sabbath rest— These are practical things you can do to facilitate your words, actions, and beliefs staying in alignment, staying unified so that you are one person all the time. Now let's shift gears and talk about a couple of other things that you can do to assist you with maintaining integrity. I'm going to put these under two broad categories. First, I want to talk about personal accountability, and then I'm going to talk about professional accountability. Integrity is maintained through personal accountability relationships. And let me give you three kinds of these that have been important to me and I think can be helpful to most leaders. First, if you're married and have a family, you're in, you, you demonstrate integrity by having transparency with your spouse and your children. Let me give you a couple examples. My wife always knows where I am. Now, this helps me maintain integrity because it keeps me from being tempted to go places I shouldn't be going. So my wife knows where I'm traveling. She knows where I'm speaking. She knows the people I'm going to be seeing. And after all these years of being married, she and I have developed a simple routine. When I go off the path that I've told her I was going to be on, I'll call her and tell her, hey, my plane got switched or I'm staying overnight in a different place than I thought. I just want my wife to always know 
where I am and what I'm doing and have a complete transparency with her about my activities and my relationships. And then with my children, for all of our adult lives that we've had children, we've had this personal uh, transparency about entertainment. And that is that we do not have any entertainment in our home, nor do we participate in any entertainment, uh, that our children could not know about or could not see. Now, I've said this in other contexts before, and please don't take this as a legalistic statement. I don't mean it that way at all. But my wife and I made a decision when we got married that we were simply not going to watch R-rated movies or anything beyond that. Why? Because we were all legalists? No. Because we knew that we didn't want to hide anything from our children, that we didn't want to have a double standard. This is okay for us, but it's not okay for you. We wanted to have a single standard. We wanted to be unified with our beliefs, actions, and attitude, or beliefs, words, and actions, even with our children. And you know, having this kind of transparency in our home over the years has just been so freeing. There's no book in our home our children can't read. There's no video our children can't see. There's no entertainment that we're participating in that we'd be ashamed if our children found out about it. Transparency. This kind of transparency and personal relationships with my wife and children has helped me to facilitate maintaining my integrity. Another set of relationships is transparency with a few close same-sex friends, meaning, of course, men with men, uh, women with women. Now, over the years, I've had uh, different ones of these in my life, but there have been a couple of relationships that have been consistent for several decades. For example, I've always had a, a, a friend that's been an attorney or an accountant, one or the other, who looks over my finances at the end of every year and keeps me on a short lease. My records have to be right, my taxes paid, my obligations covered, my plans for the future realistic. I want someone outside of myself looking over my shoulder at my finances, and I've had an outside person look at them for years now. When you have that happen, you know that you're going to be held accountable, and so you make sure that you do things right with your money. And then I have another friend that's been more personal than that over the years. He'll ask me, how's your prayer life? How are things going with your wife? How are things going with your children? What's, your, what's going on with your recreation and your thought life and your, uh, your, your downtime? How, how are you using that? And is that productive and healthy, or are you drifting into some things maybe you shouldn't be a part of? So having these kind of close, same-sex friends to help me with my finances, my moral choices, my marriage, my parenting, my prayer life, just to keep me on track has been helpful over the years. Now, I'm often asked, should you formalize these? You can, but mine have never really been formalized in the terms, in the sense that I've said to someone, you know, you're my accountability partner and you have to watch over me. I've just sought out people that I knew cared about me and I've opened myself up to those kind of relationships. Then a third category of personal accountability is transparency with a mentor or maybe a sponsor. Now, unfortunately, I've been living uh, so long that most of my mentors have passed away, but a couple of them are still around. But over the years, older men have cared for me, shaped me, and counseled me about finances and marriage and parenting and my attitudes and my leadership styles and my leadership deficiencies and my areas of needed growth. And these older guys were in my life because they cared about me. They couldn't. They weren't fooled by anything I was doing. They weren't surprised by anything I said. These were veteran guys who had lived and experienced life and were vibrantly committed to Jesus. And so their life experiences became 
a resource for me as they help to hold me accountable and help me to develop transparency with these men. So personal accountability. To help you stay with integrity in your relationships, in your actions, in who you are as a leader, these kind of relationships make a difference. Transparency with your spouse and children, transparency with a few close same-sex friends, and transparency with a mentor or a sponsor. And then now let's talk about this final category, and that's what I'll call professional accountability. The first thing you can, step you can take in this regard is to make yourself accountable to appropriate people. Now, ministry leaders are often given a wide latitude in their work, and it's sometimes confusing to whom they're really accountable. But find out who you're accountable to and make yourself accountable to that person. Perhaps it's a board or a group of elders, or in your case, it might be a staff, or it might be your supervisor in the organization where you work. But make yourself accountable for your whereabouts. Make yourself accountable for your use of time. Make yourself accountable for how you use money. Make yourself accountable to appropriate people in your organization. Don't chafe under it or resist it. Make yourself accountable. And then I already mentioned this, but particularly make yourself accountable for your use of money. Now, as a president of a school, I have, of course, an expense account for entertaining people and for traveling and for speaking and for taking care of the work of the seminary. That's my, my direct responsibility. This may surprise you, but I have to account for every single receipt that shows up on my credit card. I have to explain to our business leaders here at our school what I did, where I went, who I spent the money on, and what its purpose was. And you may say, well, don't they trust you? That's not the point. The point is I want to be accountable. I want transparency. And then it's even worse than that. After I give account to our business leaders here at the seminary and they reimburse or pay the expenses that I've submitted, they then submit a report to a group of our trustees who also take a look at it to be sure that I am only spending money appropriately. Now, you may say, well, that seems like an awful high bar. Not really, because I want to have integrity with money, and I don't mind people looking over my shoulder. And then third, make yourself accountable for your decisions. We've already talked about this in other shows, but if you make a decision, own it. It's what we do. We're, we're, as I often say, I'm not paid by the hour. I'm paid by the decision. <laughs> I, I make a decision almost every day about something. I just have to own up and, uh, and, and be accountable for those and recognize that when I make a decision, part of my integrity is saying that was my decision and not putting it off on someone else. And then finally, make yourself accountable to the policies and procedures of your organization. You say, well, I don't like them all. Well, change them. You're the leader. You can do that. But as long as you have policies and procedures, you got to follow them. And I mean this in a very practical way. I was in a meeting just yesterday here at our school in which I said, this is our current policy. I don't think that policy is workable for the fall semester because I can't even follow it. And I said, either one of two things have to happen. Either I have to follow the policy or we have to change the policy because I can't ask others to do what I'm not willing to do. So make yourself accountable to policies and procedures. If you don't like them, change them. But don't ignore them because that's a sure sign of a drift in your integrity. Well, integrity, what is it? It's wholeness. It's being undivided. It's when your beliefs, your words, and your actions all line up. It's not perfection. Get that idea out of your mind. What motivates us to live lives of integrity? Spiritual motivations. 
We're in submission to Jesus as Lord. We're a steward of the leadership role Jesus has given us, and we're under an authority structure that Jesus has commissioned. And because of that, we can practice spiritual disciplines that keep us in line. We can put in place professional and personal processes of accountability that keep us in line. We can set around us some structure that facilitates continued integrity. You can do this. I'm challenging you to. Integrity demands it and depends on it. Take it seriously as you lead on.